Well, our subject this time regarding prayer is fellowship and prayer. And I would like us to think of the definition of fellowship. I didn't look it up in the dictionary, but I think we all pretty well know what it is. And I have two words that I hope would describe fellowship, and it's loving communication. Loving communication. Now, there are different kinds of communication, and it made me think of a little girl who lost her playmate to death. And this little girl had in mind to comfort this friend's mother. And so she went next door to comfort this mother. When she came back, her mother asked her what she said when she went to comfort this mother. She said, I didn't say anything. I just crawled up on her lap and loved her. That's a way to comfort. That's a way to have fellowship. It doesn't really require words, but probably our biggest fellowship is in words. We sit around and we talk and we weigh different things and we discuss and we discuss our problems and our farming and all sorts of things. So many times it's more than scriptural. In fact, um, in our crowd it seems like it's too much on the ordinary things of life. I appreciate those who can, can bring the conversation and the fellowship back to something worthwhile. I'm not very good at that, but some people are. Our scriptures, First uh, John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We've uh, studied a lot out of 1 John, and not just me, but some of the others have also mentioned. And it's really wonderful because John was a wonderful character. We don't read near as much about his work as we do about Paul's, but no doubt he had a lot of work. He was called upon to write the gospel and three epistles. And what else? The Revelation. He wrote those five Uh, books of our Bible, and we're so thankful for that. Our character sketch today is of John. I want you to think of some things you might use to describe the Apostle John. There were many Johns, of course. There was John the Baptist, who was a wonderful character too, but we're going to concentrate on uh, John the Apostle. He was that disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, he loved them all, I know, but it must have been special to have the record that way. It must have been a special love to John that Jesus had. What are some of the words you might describe from you students? The obvious one is he was loving. Loving, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, That's the obvious one, all right. Any of you sisters think of a word maybe that would describe the Apostle John? Oh, there's lots of words we could use, yes. In the spirit. In the spirit, okay, good. He, he must have had a loud voice or was fiery. Okay, <laughs> I, I noticed that too, yeah. He knew God. He knew God, yes. Yes, he did there. Even some very interesting stories about the Apostle John. Um, I'm not going to go into one I'm thinking of, but um, what else? Affectionate. Okay, good. 
that's like loving, but uh, uh, he no doubt was uh, close, close to the Lord. What, what physical evidence is there given that he was that close to Jesus? Right, at the Last Supper, he was the one that leaned on Jesus' breast. And to understand that, I'm sure you know as well as I do, they didn't sit on chairs like we do now, I don't think. I think they sort of reclined at a very low table. And uh, doing that, why you can see how it would be very possible to lean on the breast of the one close to you. Well, I've got a few other things here. I did notice, uh, thought that they... He could have been loud. We don't think of him that way, but being that uh, John and Andrew were the sons of thunder, um, were they were they decisive maybe um, as uh, earning that reputation? He wanted. They both wanted places on the right and left hand of Jesus. Um, who do you think was kind of behind that? Get the. Their mother, yes. Yes, she uh, evidently um, desired that too, at least. Um, he was following. It's a picture when they came up to Galilee after, the, after Jesus' resurrection and he uh, questioned Peter as to his, his love. And then it says, uh, he told them to follow me. And I don't know if they... They got up together and were going someplace. Uh, the picture we could have, if it was modern times, they might have been going back to the car to drive off, but we know they didn't have cars, so whatever they were doing is a little hard for me to, to imagine. But he had said, follow me. And when Peter saw that John was following, probably immediately John got up and followed. He said, well, what is this man going to do? And uh, Jesus said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And uh, John himself reports then that the, the message went out to people that he wouldn't die, but he said he didn't say I wouldn't die. He said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? So um, that was indicated a, a will to follow. He was confident to testify, we have heard, we have seen, we have handled... Um, Brother Merle just told us graphically about that. He could testify because he was a witness. A first-hand witness has a good testimony, and John was that. And he made use of it when he wrote uh, the epistle of 1 John. He was faithful to recommend that we should believe and love, and he was chosen to write the things he wrote. Now, I'd like you to think about this. John's gospel tells incidents that the other three don't. And I'd like you to think of some that, uh, that, that might have, some that he told that the others didn't. Maybe a little sword practice here. <laughs> I have some listed here, but I'd kind of like to see if you can remember. Um, yes? The woman at the well. Okay. Right, the woman at the well. Nobody else told about that, I don't think. Okay. Yeah, he said, 
I am the vine, you're the branches, right? That is kind of special, that, that bit of teaching there. Any others from the, from the students here? Um, they all told of Jesus praying in the garden. They all recorded that. He didn't record it quite as thoroughly. Well, maybe it just takes up time. I want to list a few. The raising of Lazarus. Nobody else told about that. It's kind of interesting because it was such a graphic, such a special time, such a special uh, deed. Washing feet. I'm sorry. Right, they had different words, and I don't have those just in mind. Is that one that he said? He said it to John. He said it to John, didn't he? Right. Very good. I think you're right. Jesus' prayer in John 17, his high priestly prayer, changing water to wine, and his talk with Nicodemus. His talk to the woman at the well, we already had that one. Healing the man that was born blind. That was a special account. Um, and there were others. I know there were others, but maybe we'll move on to our study here. Our first category ahead was Jesus' fellowship with the Father. I know I'm kind of centering on fellowship, maybe a little more than prayer here, but they do go together. Jesus prayed before he fed the multitudes. And I have the accounts there. Um, in Luke, it says he, he, he lifted up his hands looking up to heaven and when he blessed that bread. The others don't uh, tell it quite that way. But uh, he prayed before he fed the multitudes. And of course, we try to pray before we eat too, don't we? Um, I appreciate when I see uh, uh, you young people bow your heads just before you start eating. That was kind of foreign to me when I was young. We weren't actually taught to do that, although I don't. I suppose my father did, but uh, he didn't insist that we do that. He prayed before he raised Lazarus. And when he raised Lazarus, and in his high priestly prayer, he emphasized that they may believe that thou hast sent me. That was very, very important. And it's important for us today that we believe. What uh, Brother Merle had just included that. We have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he brought from heaven a saving gospel. And, and Jesus was so concerned that the people that he was um, meeting would believe that God had sent him. We met quite a few unbelievers yesterday, I'm sure. Um, we don't want to go into that, but it's so important that we believe that God sent Jesus. In the high priestly prayer, there was uh, twice he said that, uh, that they might believe that thou hast sent me, and then once that he said that the apostles, his apostles, apostles do believe that thou hast sent me. He said in John 14:23 to 28, I'd like to read that. 
uh, my father is greater than I, but there's a little more to it than that. Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hears not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I think it's a little further on then. Um, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. I think we need to accept that simple statement. My father is greater than I. I've heard people um, really kind of argue about this, saying that he was only greater when he was here in the flesh. And I don't understand. Maybe that's what it means. But somehow we need to understand that the father is greater than the son. We have the list of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But Jesus had that fellowship with his Father, and he didn't count it a thing to be grasped to be equal with God, but was willing to take the place of a servant and serve. In his high priestly prayer, he mentioned fellowship with the Father. Um, Verse 5 especially, I want to read that too, because we're right close here. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. See, he had glory with the Father from time before time. We have only a way of defining things by time, but God is not not limited by time. Our fellowship and prayers. He says in Mark 11:25, when you stand praying, forgive. <clears throat> There's a vital connection between prayer and forgiveness. That's a quote there. And also then we wanted to mention Matthew 18, 21 to 35. This is the section that when we interrogate an, an applicant for baptism, we don't read this part of Matthew 18. At least we don't. I don't know if you folks do or not, but... Um, it's, a, it's an important part of that chapter, really, and sometimes I feel like we should read it. <clears throat> it was about the servant who was forgiven, but he would not forgive. He said, um, deliver him to the tormentors. This master that, that uh, <clears throat> had the servant who wouldn't forgive, was, he was to deliver him to the tormentors. And he says, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone, his brother, their trespasses. And then there's another place, I think we mentioned it earlier, honor, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, that your prayers be not hindered. I told that to a fellow yesterday. Um, 
he was wondering about the, the coverings, the white coverings on the sisters. And I said, well, it's, it, it, it refers to headship. The, the man was given head over the woman. And there was a man and his wife there, and he just seized on this in a way that wasn't too fitting. And I could see that their relationship was not really what it should be. But, oh, what I got out of that yesterday, I hope you all got that much too, that we have so much to thank God for. We've had a heritage that just is un, unsurpassed. And, you know, when we have unsurpassed blessing, we have unsurpassed responsibility. Not only responsibility to live it, but to share it. In Romans 8, I want to turn to that too. This was one that I think is is so vital to our our prayer life, and I'm not sure we can get along without this concept. Verse 26 of Romans 8, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It's a help that we have if we'll call on him. Call on him in time of trouble. And if if we can't say words, We have a heart that longs after God and the Spirit will help our infirmities and perhaps supply the words to the Father that we can't really say. I thought I had a quotation here someplace that words are not necessarily prayers. It has to come from the heart. And it's better to have the heart without the words than to have the words without the heart. Instances of fellowship and prayer. We have a story about this grandmother who had a neighbor that was kind of backwoods neighbor. Her her husband was an unbeliever and they kind of lived off to themselves and she didn't have very nice clothes and she was kind of an odd-looking character and so the community kind of ignored her. But grandmother made her a visit and she got in and helped her hang up clothes and got to know her. She visited her repeatedly and so that when she invited her to come to church, this neighbor reluctantly said, I'll go if I can go with you. And so, sure enough, Sunday morning, her husband brought her down in the farm wagon and she um, was ready to go to church with the grandmother. Well, the grandmother had a couple of of grandchildren with her. And here this neighbor woman appeared with a big apron on to go to church. And the grandmother said to the little girl, she said, why, we forgot our aprons. And they went back in and they put their aprons on and they went to church with grandmother. Talk about fellowship. That was a real real time to to identify with this uh, backwards lady. Um, and also she frowned down those in the church that kind of uh, snickered and all. Uh, she wouldn't tolerate that. 
But she did kind of give a hint to this neighbor that it's really not necessary to wear our aprons to church. Anyway, I thought that was kind of a good instance of uh, really identifying. Acts 1.14 says they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. What's the occasion there? Who can tell me? Yeah, but wasn't it just after Jesus ascended and they assembled, they were all with one accord, and that's what they did. You're right. I have a note here, an elderly deacon in a fashionable church, and there's a story about this fashionable church right across from a a, a college. And these folks were kind of trying to understand, kind of trying to devise a way that they could relate to these young people. Maybe you'll identify this with a little bit, you young people. Sometimes it's hard for fashionable, older, even Christian believers to identify with younger people. But that was their wish. Well, this one morning, Sunday morning, this fellow from across the road, this college fellow, and he was kind of dressed in a contemporary way. He didn't have terribly good clothes on and... uh, he was, I think he was barefooted as the story goes. But anyway, he came into this fashionable church and wanted to, to hear the sermon. And here it had it just about ready to begin and the place was packed. And he couldn't find a seat. He kept looking in the rows and going a little further down the aisles and he didn't find a seat. So he simply uh, sat on the floor. That is his uh, legs and just sat on the floor. Well they all raised their eyebrows a bit and pretty soon an elderly deacon from the back had a cane and he began to go up toward the front and the people began to think, oh, it's too bad, but what's going to have to happen? But it'll just have to happen. He can't do that here. Well, this deacon um, made his way with his cane to the front and he laid down his cane and he sat down beside this college student. And the minister was ready to preach. And what he said first, he said, you may forget, you may not remember what I say here, but you'll never forget what you saw here. Time of fellowship, identification with someone that needed, needed that help. <clears throat> Mark 1, 35 to 37. Um, I think I'll read that too. <clears throat> I think we might have heard from this, but it was an instance when Jesus rose early um, to pray. Verse 35 of Mark, first chapter, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. When they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. Even though he was out in solitary praying, he realized that what his mission was, was to people. He needed to to get to the people, to tell them the message of salvation. Cornelius was fasting and praying when God told him to call for Peter. And I've just noted here, we're not alone. 
We need the prayers of those we love, don't we? And there's a song about that. We need the prayers of those we love. You probably have heard of the praying hands, the uh, the famous praying hands picture. And I have the story of that. Uh, this is it. You probably have seen this famous picture. It was done by a famous artist and really apparently done in a in a masterful way. But this is the story behind it. About 1490, two young friends, Albright Durer and Franz Nigstein, were struggling young artists. Since both were poor, they worked to support themselves while they studied art. Work took, work took much of their time, and ad the advancement was slow. Finally, they reached an agreement. They would draw lots and one of them would work to support both of them while the other would study art. Albright won and began to study art, while Franz worked at hard labor to support them both. They agreed that when Albright was successful, he would support Franz, who would then study art. Albright went off to the cities of Europe to study. As the world now knows, he, not only, he had not only talent but genius. When he had attained success, he went back to keep his bargain with friends. But Albright soon discovered the enormous price his friend had paid. For as Franz worked at hard manual labor to support his friend, his fingers had become stiff and twisted. His slender, sensitive hands had been ruined for life. He could no longer execute the delicate brush strokes necessary to fine painting. Though his artistic dreams could never be realized, he was not embittered, but rather rejoiced in his friend's success. One day, Durer came upon his friend unexpectedly and found him kneeling with his gnarled hands intertwined in prayer, quietly praying for the success of his friend, although he himself could no longer be an artist. Albright, Durer, the great genius, hurriedly sketched the folded hands of his faithful friend and later completed a truly great masterpiece known as The Praying Hands. Today, art galleries everywhere feature Albright Dewar's works, and this particular masterpiece tells an eloquent story of love, sacrifice, labor, and gratitude. It has reminded multitudes the world around of how they also may find comfort, courage, and strength. I don't suppose, I've got stories here, and I don't suppose I can tell you any better than the stories. I, I don't want to just apologize, but I would like to proclaim like these other brethren, proclaim the Word of God and tell you how necessary it is to have fellowship with one another. We don't stand alone, we need each other probably more than we need the activities that seem so important to us sometimes. We need people. We need fellowship. No one stands alone. There's a, a poem about that. No man is an island. No man stands alone. And uh, it's something about if, if the, the, the water washes a bit from uh, the, the island of Ireland, it's that much reduced, and that's the way it is with us because we're involved in other people's lives. I 
guess there's a principle, if you want to be happy, make others happy. And I have a little reading on that. This is from <clears throat> the Basin Stops Here in Spirit Fruit. If you want to be happy, make others happy. Happiness is the inevitable result of a certain kind of life. If you don't believe it, someday take time to see how frustrated people spend their time. You will likely find their lives filled with desire for beaches, banquets, and belongings. Then search out the radiant few, and you will find them sitting by sick beds, ministering to them of God's goodness. They will be carrying food to the hungry. You will find them around a family altar beseeching God on behalf of others. You will find them behind pulpits and teachers' lecterns giving themselves to others so others might have. In fact, you will find them in nearly every kind of occupation and place on the globe. But there will always be one thing true. They will not be asking to be served. They will be asking to serve. From first to last, the men and women who were and will be Useful forces in the world are those who rejoice in the title of servant. Maybe you've heard the little summation of the gospel service of one to another. It's just one hobo telling another hobo where to find the bread. I have a writing here that you may have heard. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. It says, After he was martyred for his faith in Jesus, this letter was found in his desk, written by a young pastor in Zimbabwe. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die is cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. And no longer, I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, walk with patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, spoken up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till He stops me, 
And when he comes for his own, he will have no trouble recognizing me. My banner is clear. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Praise God. I guess there was some desire for me to tell a little bit about our lawsuit. If uh, maybe some of you haven't heard of it, I'm sure the ones from our area have. When I was teaching, we had an accident on a field trip, and a girl fell about eight feet and um, put a little gash in her forehead and kind of cracked her elbow. We were thankful that was all. But after about five years, her grandmother brought suit And her grandmother had complete custody of this girl. Her mother and her parents weren't what they should have been. And so the grandmother was had sole custody. Well, these folks weren't exactly in our fellowship. We had taken a number of students from that same family. And so we thought it would be safe. But when that happened, I mourned because if it would have happened to anyone else, there probably wouldn't have been a problem. But after about five years, this grandmother got a lawyer and brought a lawsuit against us. And it was against the state and against uh, the church. Of course, the state weaseled out of it right away. And uh, in the end, we settled out of court for about $35,000 plus court costs, lawyer costs. And we learned who our friends were. We had help from an awful lot of people, a lot of German Baptist people helped us. The the patrons helped us. There was one man that was not a fellow, not a member of our church, that uh, contributed about a thousand dollars, like many others did. And he said, "If you need more, you let me know." Well, that's not quite the end of the story. This family turned against their grandmother. One of the students. Um, that I had said he would never, he would never uh, forgive her. And I said, you can't be that way. You have to forgive. And uh, anyway, he wanted to make it right, so he and his crew of uh, stonemasons put the stone around our church uh, free of charge. We had to buy the material, but they did that for us. And the rest of the story possibly is that this grandmother turned in turned up in the nursing home where I've been volunteering. I read to the elderly people there. And oh dear, dear ones, I don't want you to think I'm bragging, but I ministered a bit to this grandmother, just a bit, not very much. She would look up at me and she said, do I know you? And I said, oh yeah, Miss Taylor, uh, I come in here every week. And we never did discuss the past. She was beyond that. When she died, her family told me, or told my wife, said he would never have had to go into that room to cross that threshold. And they appreciated it. And they donated quite a sum of money to our school from her uh, estate. And they actually advertised in the, in the, the, uh, the notice of her death in the paper that the donation should be to Old Brethren Christian School. It was a, a wonderful sequel to that that episode. And I, I do believe we, we were given the, the strength and the ability to be 
forgiving and to be non-resistant. And if it can do any good that I've told this, I hope you won't think it as any kind of a brag, but I want to recommend it. Forgive. If we want to be forgiven, we have to forgive. And it wasn't that much. It was just money. That's all it was. In fact, it won the confidence of some of that family. I want to tell a little more about our hospital and its mission. Um, Its mission statement is to share God's love by providing physical, mental, and spiritual healing. This is an Adventist hospital. It isn't an ordinary hospital. They are have the the interest of their patients at heart. And when we're through, you might be thinking about it. When we're through, I'd like to borrow one of uh, Merle's um, methods. I'd like you to write out a mission statement for your life. You can be thinking about it when we're through here. It won't take you very long, probably, if it's as short as this one. But I want you to think of a mission statement for your life, for your future. I've got a little more I'd like to tell. On the back, I have this printed about the 12 features of prayer by Dick Eastman. And uh, I gave you a copy of this earlier, thinking you might be able to use it. I'm not going to go over this, but if you can make use of this, I would like you to do it. Remember, it starts and ends with praise. The features are waiting, confession, scripture praying, watching, intercession, petition, thanksgiving, singing psalms, meditation, listening. Not necessarily singing psalms, just singing. And I think that's really kind of complete. And maybe some of you are like me. You have probably a time of of, of trouble uh, kneeling down and praying for an hour. That just gets kind kind of testing and troublesome to me. But to think that we could be devoted in prayer in these different ways, it really helps me to know that. A couple of other items, if I have time for it. Um, There was a, a man who was getting older, and he owned a large business. He wanted to pass on this business to one of his faithful employees, and he wanted to determine which one was the best, the most honest. And so he, he got these three together and he gave them each a seed. Maybe you've heard this story. He gave them a seed and he told them, go home and plant this seed and in, an hour, in a, a year I want you to come back and we'll decide who inherits the business. Well, this one fellow, he was really disappointed because his seed didn't seem to do anything. There was nothing in the pot and he was just about ready to give up and not go back knowing that he wouldn't win the win the, the selection. But his wife said, oh, you've done what he told you to do. You need to go back. Well, when he went back, these others said, their seeds had really produced. They had nice plants that came up in the flower pot and they brought these all together and when uh, the selection came to be made this uh, businessman selected the one that had no growth he said all those seeds were roasted none of them could grow and he said only one was honest enough to admit 
and to do, follow the directions, and he's the one that inherited the business. I think that probably actually happened, but it's certainly a good lesson anyway. I had another poem I'd like to read here. Um, It's called True Discipleship, and I believe the writer is Jim Elliott, one of the five martyrs from uh, Ecuador. This was big with me. I was a young man when uh, these men gave their lives trying to reach the Alka Indian tribe. And uh, this is, this. if you know Jim Elliott's background, I think this means more, of a, more uh, for a poem here. Uh, there's a little writing about it. Flame is transient, often short-lived. A flame, that is. Canst thou bear this, my soul, short life? In me there dwells the spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. This last line was inspired by a poem of Amy Carmichael's but this is the poem from prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on me from fearing when I should aspire from faltering when I should climb higher from silken self O captain free thy soldier who would follow thee from subtle love of softening things from easy choices weakenings not thus are spirits fortified not this way went the crucified from all that dims thy calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. There's a note here, the disgrace of the church in the 21st century is that more zeal is evident among suicide bombers than cultists, in, and cultists than among Christians. That's a pretty serious charge. And we've heard this over this series of how we need to be on fire. We need to be zealous for the Lord. We can't just sit back and let things happen. We need to be <clears throat> creative and, and ready to serve, ready to obey. Just a little bit more about our hospital. <clears throat> They've placed uh, boxes for prayer on both of the upper floors and on the main floor in the uh, chapel. There's a box where people can put prayer requests, I mean. And I've been privileged to belong to a, a prayer team that once a week we meet and consider those requests. And it can be from patients it can be from uh, patients' families. It can also be from employees. Because hospital employees have a special place. And those especially on the critical units and the, no doubt the, uh, the emergency units, they lose their patients. And it's not easy to lose someone that you've cared for and grown to love. And so they have a lot of problems too. And they sometimes put requests or let them be known to the chaplain, uh, the chaplain's office. <clears throat> <clears throat> 
Maybe we need something like that. At least to be open to prayer requests from our friends. I'd like you to pray for me going through a problem. Hold me up in prayer. Be faithful to do that. It's a ministry. It doesn't take a lot of talent. It may take a gift, but it doesn't take a lot of education or talent. It just takes what you call, what is it? Time. Well, I was thinking about love and time. It's going to take time too. (laughs) But it's going to take love to pray for one another. It's going to take love. Well, I'm just so glad that I would called on to minister here. I'm the oldest one here and I am aware of that. They've Different ones have said, well, you know, I hope I can be as active as you when I'm your age. And I don't have anything to brag about. I just have a lot to be thankful for. There was one thing, since there's a little bit more time, there was one thing that I skipped on one of the other lessons, and it's a pretty important part of prayer because it's about humility. And I'd just like to read in closing here um, some of this from E.M. Bounds. God puts a great price on humility of heart. It is good to be clothed with humility as with a garment. It is written, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. That which brings the praying soul near to God is humility of heart. That which gives wings to prayer is lowliness of mind. That which gives ready access to the throne of grace is self-depreciation, pride, self-esteem, and self-praise praise effectually shut the door of prayer. He who would come to God must approach him with self hid from his own eyes. He must not be puffed up with self-conceit nor be possessed with an overestimate of his virtues and good works. Humility is a rare Christian grace of great price in the courts of heaven. Entering into and being an an inseparable condition of effectual praying, it gives access to God when other qualities fail. It takes many descriptions to describe it and many definitions to define it. It is a rare and retiring grace. Its full portrait is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayers must be set low before they can ever rise high. Our prayers must have much of the dust on them before they can ever have much of the glory of the skies in them. In our Lord's teaching, humility has such prominence in His system of religion and is such a distinguishing feature of His character that to leave it out of His lesson on prayer would be very unseemly, would not comport with His character and would not fit into his religious system. I know that's kind of exalted words and maybe a little boring reading, but I hope you can get the message. We must not, we cannot leave humility out of prayer. It says also here, humility is the first and last attribute of Christ-like religion and the first and last attribute of Christ-like praying. There is no Christ without humility. There is no praying without humility. If you would learn well, 
the art of praying, then learn well the lesson of humility. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you, we trust, with humble hearts. Lord, we're so prone to self-esteem and pride. We so want to be praised for the things we do and what we accomplish in our poor, weak ways. And yet, it's so fitting that we approach you in the attitude of humility and selflessness. Lord, I pray for each one of these dear students and even for the staff, even for the children. Lord, as we leave this place, let us not forget the lessons you've given us here. We still have your word better than tracts, your word of life. I pray, Lord, that we can use it, study it, learn it, and read it with the intention that we will obey. We will follow. We will humbly follow. We will not be afraid to do the least of the jobs you ask us to do. We will not have to be recognized and and applauded, but we can serve in a lowly place. Just pray you'll give us that spirit of humility. Forgive us when we've lost it, Heavenly Father. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, Lord. And that you've loved us. You sent Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going all the way to the cross. There being nailed and hung in agony. All for our salvation. If that doesn't make us humble, Lord, what will? I pray, Lord, we'll just seek your face. that we'll be willing to be crucified with you, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, that we will accept any accusation and criticism and any putting down as from you, Heavenly Father, as messages from you to to work in us what you would have in the way of acceptance and humility. Thank you for the the crosses, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the crucifixions in each of our lives. We just pray we can accept them from you and learn from them. Thank you for the author that wrote about that. Just thank you, Heavenly Father, for calling us, giving us life, giving us life in you, Heavenly Father. Help us to leave this place resolving anew to serve you better and love you more. I pray in Jesus' precious name.